Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today on the show, we have Bill Nordlander, and he joins the show to share his experience as a forensic accountant. As a former special agent with over 20 years of experience, he now runs a boutique forensic accounting and tax resolution firm. And he's also the host of the Fraud Fighter podcast, so be sure to check that out. Uh, on the show, he talks about a typical fraud case and the best way to pursue a career in forensic accounting and how finding fraud solved a murder case, which was super interesting. So. Hope you all enjoy. Here we go. I am genuinely interested in learning more about forensic accounting. We've had a forensic accountant on the show uh, in the past, but um, just to kind of kick it off, what what is forensic accounting? Forensic accounting is really accounting, but for court purposes. That's really all it is. It's bringing your information to court and understanding what the court wants because depending on the court it's in there is a burden of proof that's different for example in civil court there's what they call proponents of the evidence which means more likely than not mm -hmm. okay but in criminal court there is what everybody knows beyond a reasonable doubt and those are two different standards of proving something and so when you have to go to court, you have a forensic accountant who understands the burdens of proof. And there's also based upon case law, based upon what the Supreme Court has said, ways to what we call count the beans. Mm -hmm. In accounting, you have gap, which everybody understands gap. If you take any type of accounting courses, you have gap. Well, you take gap and then you start applying it into what the court says is allowable. For example, would it say the net worth method of proof? The net worth method of proof is, it has nothing to do with auditing. And auditing, if you don't have a balance sheet or an income statement, there is really nothing you can do. You, you have to give an opinion on a financial statement. But when it comes to criminal court or civil court, there's something called a net worth method of proof where you can take someone's beginning net worth an ending net worth and figure out personal living expenses, taking mm -hmm. into account depreciation, all that type of stuff, and figure out approximately what the income was for that individual for that year. And when it comes to a criminal situation, typically it's over a four or five year period of time, which every year has to stand by itself. So you learn those different valuations and how to go to court and prove your point is what it is. It is 
And do you do this with internal audit? Like, have you worked with internal audit and in doing some of this work? No, no, I have never done it with internal audit. I spent 20 years as a special agent with IRS criminal investigations, which really means I just follow the money. Where did the money come from? Where did the money go to? And compare it to a tax return. So if someone has, let's say they have a million dollars coming in and a million dollars going out, all right, but they claim on a tax return, they made $10,000 that year. I got to be able to prove that it was more than $10,000. It was substantially more than $10,000. Mm -hmm. And how would you do that? Now, in some situations, it's difficult because let's assume it's a million dollars in cash and a million dollars cash going out. Well, in the civil world, especially if you're an IRS auditor, all you got to say is, do you have a receipt for that? And if you don't have a receipt for it, you don't get the deduction because mm -hmm. the burden of proof is on the taxpayer. But in criminal court, it's different. The burden of proof is on the government. So the government has to prove that this was income and the government has to prove that the expenses were personal. And so that's where it gets a little bit of technical and you have to understand what works and what doesn't work. Okay. That type of thing. So, and when I think forensic accounting, I immediately just think fraud. Is it always fraud? It, not always, but I would say like 90, 95% of it, it is. Okay. You can have forensic accounting for damages. Let me give you an example. Um, you have a house that you rent out on the beach, right? And it catches on fire or there is a, a hurricane. Now, the insurance company is going to know what damages were out there above and beyond rebuilding that piece of property. What other damages are there as in lost rents, mm -hmm. right? So you, so a forensic accountant can go, can calculate, we think estimated income, estimated expenses. We believe that they lost this amount of profit for that period of time and not being able to use it. So it had nothing to do with fraud. It had everything to do with just some type of, you know, um, weather situation or a fire something, gotcha. something of that nature that you can do it but most of it is a partner still from partners husband and wives or spouses hiding money from one another or people hiding the money from the government or people doing some illegal things they're not necessarily fraud per se mm -hmm. but let's assume that you're in the illegal arms business or drug business and you take the money and you're running it through various corporations well, the government can step in and figure out what's really the illegal stuff, what's what's really the legal stuff, and figure it all out. So gotcha. there's not there's maybe some fraud involved in a bigger term, but no one's this sort of been defrauded per se, unless it's a tax issue. Yeah. Okay. What's what? So fraud is obviously <laughs> super interesting. Uh, I think especially to auditors. What do you have a favorite? Uh, and maybe it doesn't have to be fraud, but do you have a favorite? Let's say a favorite forensic accounting story of yours. I've got a couple of them. Let's see here. Um, I've had a, some good cases in some cases that were not really high dollar amounts. I'll just give an example. One example of fraud is when a return preparer shop, you probably see them during the tax season. Uh, they're the ones with the signs that, uh, on their chest or maybe they're right. doing some Statue of Liberty type thing, whatever they're doing out there. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> come on in, get your tax returns done here, right? right? Well, I had a case where they were buying and selling dependents. You walk in there and all of a sudden you got a dependent on your tax return and it cost you a thousand bucks, but they can get you $4,000 of a refund. So you net out $3,000. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And people will actually say, yeah, go ahead. But it's also depending on my return. Uh, but when we, do this, when we do this data mining of what's coming out of this business, you can see that the dependents are going from one return to another to another. Somehow this child has got different parents every year. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it just, it's not right. Or the education credits. Everybody's getting education credit no matter what happens, that type of stuff. But what we did was ultimately the search warrant on the business. And then we also found well, where the dependents are coming from. Well, some of them were homeless people. They would buy their homeless people's IDs for $25 and they would use it, okay? Uh, some of these were actually victims of a social, social services, where a social services worker was selling the dependents in order to gain a couple hundred dollars in cash. Now, that's crazy. That's crazy, but it happens. So mm -hmm. the identity theft of these children that were victimized probably once we're now victimized again in tax. Mm -hmm. uh, their, ideas, their IDs are stolen and used for, uh, for tax return. That's one of them. Um, I also had a case where a individual, some adults adopted a relative. So they became an adopted father, adopted mother. And at the end of the day, uh, the adopted parents actually um, killed their kid kill their adopted child they just they, they beat her okay and but she would was not considered missing for 18 months and there was an issue with the state uh nobody there's no murder none of that stuff so if you don't if the kid's missing i call the kid like 13 or 14 years old uh it was national news if the kid is missing uh what can we do about this stuff because the state it's a state issue uh when it, come, when it comes to these violent crime type stuff, but, mm -hmm. but they don't know where the child's at. So there's a big manhunt for the child. No one finds the child. And then ultimately at the end of the day, the child was found, was, was deceased and buried by the adopted parents per se. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. But that being said, there was a process and we use forensic accounting, especially tax fraud to prove the case against the adopted parents. And I'll give an example. So for 18 months, this child has been missing, right? But for 18 months, the parents are getting still the, the federal aid, the food mm -hmm. stamps. Uh, the, state, the state was actually paying the adopted parents money for, because this child happened to be having special needs, all mm -hmm. right? So it's like a cash cow. And they're also using the child as a dependent on a, on a return type stuff. So this is all what's going on. So what we did is that we ultimately, so one of my, I think the highlight of my career was using forensic accounting to prove that they were using the identity of this person who's not there for 18 months in order to gain financial benefit. And at the end of the day, the judge found them guilty of various white collar crimes, okay? And in court, we could show that there was abuse, 
there was other fraud going on. Uh, these are these are bad people. They need to go to prison. And for a small loss, the judge put them in the prison eight years and ten years, mm-hmm. which is unheard of in federal court. Only thing we wanted to know was where the body was at. And mm-hmm. then a year later, they adopted dad said, "I confess. I'll tell you where I, where where what happened to the body." And they they recovered the body. And then the state finally came in based upon the autopsy and said that the child died of a violent death, violent means, and then went in and gave him 20 years of life, whatever, whatever, whatever they gave. But all because of a forensic accounting and a financial crime, we could actually prove and put these people in prison. That, that seems like communication's a big deal when presenting this. I mean, you're talking about uh, forensic accounting and, and kind of the numbers that go behind that. Is that, is that difficult? How do you communicate that effectively to maybe a, a juror or something? Well, one of them pled guilty, one of them went to trial. Okay. So, but, but the, but it's a good question. The bottom line is what benefit did these people receive? Okay. Using this person's name. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And the question would be is, okay, who signed the document? Was it the husband? Was it the wife? How long did they do this? Was it a misunderstanding? Did they have to re, uh, re-up, let's say, the food stamps or something of that nature? Did they have to go back and get it? Is this, do they have a defense where they walk in? Remember, the burden of proof on the government. Do they have mm-hmm. a defense where, well, she's getting food stamps for five years. The sixth year, she's not there. You know, I didn't know. I was supposed to go back and say she wasn't here. They didn't, we didn't do all that stuff because you had to go back and say, okay, when did you re-up it? When did you sign this document again? So you have to prove your case that they knew this person was, was not there and they intentionally filed for benefits anyways. Um, and that's how they would do it. So you would communicate going, here's a statute, here's what the crime says. If you do this, this, and this, you commit a crime. They have done this, this, and this, and this. Gotcha. Typically, the biggest issue you have is willfulness. Hmm. Did they willfully do this? Uh, in a in a fraud case because mistakes are not crimes they're not crimes yeah only when you willfully do this and you show willfulness by the sophistication of what they did the number of times they did it how much dollar loss there was um you can also talk about maybe the education the individual doing this if this person has a doctor's degree in one thing maybe different than a person who has maybe a fifth grade education right gotcha so you add what we call indirect evidence all the whole story to show we believe they willfully did this based upon all these key all these key factors and what's the i feel like a lot of people are going to be interested in forensic accounting after hearing this especially some of the stories that you you've told what is the background like how do you get into forensic accounting what uh maybe certifications do you need or or what's your background look like if someone let's say someone maybe a, a better way to put this uh, I'm coming out of college. I want to get into this. How do I do it? Oh, good question. Unfortunately, there's not a straight line. When you go, to, when you become a lawyer, you go four years of college, three years of law school, and now you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen that way with forensic accounting. For the most part, what you have to do is, in my in my recommendation of my experience, is to find an agency that uses forensic accountants. Okay. The number one agency that uses forensic accountants is the IRS. The IRS has a criminal investigation side. Most people don't even know this. They have a criminal investigation side where they take 
people with accounting backgrounds. They don't have CPA license, not all of them. A lot of them actually don't, but they have some accounting courses. So they have to have an accounting knowledge and accounting background. They may not have an auditing background, may not have an intermediate accounting, but they understand at least the principles, banking, economics, and that type, those type of courses. And yeah. they can take that person, assuming that you uh, fit what they're looking for, and literally train them for six months at an at academy, uh, a federal law enforcement academy. For, for, for six months, they learn everything from constitutional rights, how to stop a vehicle, how to arrest somebody, how to test for drugs, all that stuff. And then they also go into how to develop a case, how to interview people, uh, so, so and how to understand tax law and the internal intricacies about the IRS, what this form looks like, what database you can use here, how to read it, and how to put it all together. Um, and so for six months, they get trained. And after that six months, they go out there to the field and learn the real life, what I would say. Yeah. And so that's forensic accounting, because it's all it is is tracing the money and how to prove it in court, where we talked about different methods of proof earlier. Uh, but there's also a way that you can get a, you can get accounting background and you can also go into, I guess, one of those big four firms, big three firms, whatever they are now, there are always a need for a forensic accountant. Now, sometimes they want uh, experience and many times you have, maybe have to go through the auditing route or yeah. get some type of experience in the business itself before you can transfer that department. Um, but in my, in my experience, in my experience, I think the best forensic accountants are the ones who have some type of CPA background or some type of background that has real work experience. Yeah. And then they can bring it into the into the criminal court because that's where you you know that's where you do the hand to hand combat to criminal court. Um, so, but when it comes to certifications, CPA is always is well known. Okay. Although I'll have to say that CPAs and forensic accounting are two different things. Mm -hmm. CPAs do audits for the most part and understand auditing. And that's kind of like where the bread and butter of the CPA world at is making opinions about financial statements. Right. But there's also CPAs that do taxes and that type of stuff. But we don't get that much tax in you know accounting world. We just don't. You have to learn yeah. that on the, you just know the very basics. Um, the certified fraud examiner is another one. And that's becoming up, that's uh, becoming more and more prevalent these days. Is the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners has this course or this certification that you can get as well to help you become a forensic accountant. But most of it is just getting in there and digging it out, getting a, getting a case where someone stole money from one partner, stole money from another, and trying to figure out the puzzle. It's really all it is is, 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 um, is figuring out the puzzle and presenting that puzzle or the answers to an attorney or to a court or to a judge. Do you think it makes sense? Um, like when would internal audit call you? Is there a case where they would, a scenario where they would call someone like you? If internal audit did call, it would be a situation where someone is committing a crime. We think we, we see what we call badges of fraud. We see something going on, but we really don't know how to fix this, right? Mm -hmm. Because auditors really have the big picture in mind, right? It has to be material uh, when it comes to financial statements. Uh, and sometimes your fraud may not be material, but it right. does need to be investigated. And 
yeah, internal audit can call. But when I was working for the IRS for 20 years, we never got a call from a corporation saying, you know, we're, we're you know, somebody stole money, please, please yeah. help. It doesn't work that way. Um, but I can see where internal audit would call a forensic examiner or a forensic accountant to help them with this small suction out there that needs to be dealt with. Uh, but I'm not sure internally whether or not internal audit would call a different CPA firm or kind of hand the reins over to a different department in the same company. Okay. All right. Well, is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Well, no, forensic accounting is actually very interesting. I thoroughly enjoyed my career. I spent the first 10 years as a CPA and taught accounting. And then I got into forensic accounting for 20 years and then later on retired from the IRS. It was a, it was a great career and thoroughly enjoyed it. It just didn't pay to stay after about 20 years. I turned 50. Uh, do you, what do you want to do? You have another 20 years, maybe 25 years of productivity in your life. Um, you know, if, if money was not an object and time was not an object, what would you do? And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I want to try something else. So I started my own forensic accounting firm. And it, but I will say this, that the IRS criminal investigations do have the best uh, forensic accountants out there. Now, the Bureau, just what to know, the FBI does hire them, DEA does hire them, but they're not, that's not the, the bread and butter of the agency. That's kind of like um, a support, in my opinion. Yeah. While IRS, that's all they do, because they have to, they have these forensic accountants to compare tax returns, and only IRS has jurisdiction in tax crimes. Okay. If, if someone's listening and they are interested or maybe they have uh, questions for you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I have a website, Nordlander CPA, N-O-R-D-L-A-N-D-E-R-C-P-A.com. They can go to that. It's not a problem. I also have a podcast called Fraud Fighter Podcast. They can go to fraudfighterpodcast.com or go on to Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Google, and they can download some episodes and listen to it to find out uh, who's hiring and who's doing the work and who's issuing the, the issuing the credentials and they can get a lot of information based upon that of, of different parts of forensic accounting and how it relates to uh, various frauds and divorces and that type of thing okay and we'll be sure to link the website and your podcast and uh, your linkedin also we'll throw that in the show notes so if anyone does need to reach out to you, they can uh, go there and, and reach out. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.